Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast. I'm your host, Everstock Ajobi. Joined today on the phone by a 13-year NBA veteran, currently plays for the three-headed monster team in the Big Three. The man that eats rebounds like you eat Skittles. You can find him on social media at Reggie Evans30. Escambia County's finest, Reggie the Joker Evans. What up, bruh? What's that, man? Appreciate having me today. I mean, how you doing these days, man? What's the weather like in Florida? You know what? It's a little chilly outside. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's a little chilly outside. That's a little abnormal for us, you know. But you know, but I'm not complaining though, cause you know, once that summertime get here, it's on and popping and stuff. So it's gonna be turned up. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be hot and stuff. You know, so once, once it's hot, it's hot. You know, ain't no return. Ain't no return. <laughs> Before we get into the podcast, I just want to get your thoughts and say condolences to you, the NBA veteran, uh, to the recent passing of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and uh, all the other members that was on board, the helicopter crash recently. You played your entire NBA career against Kobe Bryant, and you recently posted a picture on your Instagram page going for a layup against Kobe. Did Kobe block that shot? You know what? We didn't play against each other so much. I don't even remember if he blocked that shot or not. <laughs> I'm going to have to say no, though. What's your father's memory playing against Kobe? over the years you know what's so crazy the, the funnest thing was you know all-star weekend when i went to my first all-star in houston and i probably had like 20 of my homeboys with me from uh from pensacola and me and rashad all of us kind of linked up together because you know we were on team together in seattle you know we were real tight and um when i went to the nba uh hotel i had to go in there and do something so kobe came in and we kind of like met up by the elevator and he was like, What's up? And I'm like, What's happening? And uh he, he was like, What's Seattle want? We got guards. We're trying to get them guards. We're trying to get them guards. They act like they don't want to trade you. We I'm trying to get you. Wow. And I was like, Oh, for real? I like, I ain't even know. I'm like, oh, okay. And just to see my all my my homeboys face and their reaction of seeing like, oh dog, Kobe Bryant want their homeboy, I thought, you know, that's one of my biggest moments. And it wasn't even on the court, it was off the court you know, with Kobe and stuff. Wow, that's that's pretty cool, man. I love the fact that the NBA is uh, really showing Kobe and family a lot of love. And I being a, you know, late 30s guy myself, I grew up, you know, just wanting to, every, every time I shot the ball, you know, Kobe, like everybody said, you know, that was kind of my memories too. Yeah, you know, all the love he getting, he earned that. You know, he put the time, the hours in, the dedication to receive that love from everybody. Because he gave everybody he gave everybody 110 of Kobe Bryant each year, you know, and uh, never stops. When he retired, he was making that transition with his daughter to create that platform, and he was going hard at that. It's only it's only right that, you know, the world embraced him and his family and the rest of the family that was involved embraced them with so much love and so much prayer and so much healing for all the families that still are going through this tragic moment. But we all are hurting, you know what I'm saying? Everybody hurting. The NBA, all these NBA brothers, you know, it just hurt. You know, we all, a lot of us have kids, and just to see the kids go through that, that make it even, that's even more of a low blow for us. Right. So switching gears over to Joker. How did you get the nickname Joker? I get it, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of my mom homegirls, they used to be like, oh, he a big old joker. You know, kind of like when I was born mm. and stuff, they like, dog, he a big old joker. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it just kind of just went from there, you know? So she probably got like two or three of her homegirls, you know, who um who claimed that they gave me that name. So <laughs> one of them gave me the name and stuff, and it just went from there and stuff. So that's been my name. It still is from day one. <laughs> So you being from Pensacola, Florida, the cradle of naval aviation, the home of the Blue Angels, Pensacola Beach. Talk to the people out there that may not know anything about Pensacola, Florida. They may just know about Miami or Daytona. Tell people what Pensacola's like. On the outside, we are very known for the naval base. 
because we got, you know, a lot of kids that go to the Navy, they kind of uh, start there. And, you know, we have a great beach, and, uh, a wonderful beach, and a lot of people from out of town come to our beach, a lot of tourists, a lot of athletes, a lot of top top athletes all over the world come to Andrews Institution on the beach and stuff. Growing up, pretty much, I just grew up. My mom had four kids. All of us had baby daddy, different dad. So we grew up in Pensacola Village. That's the neighborhood where we grew up in, the hood that we grew up in. So pretty much growing up in our environment, it, you really ain't think about the beach. You really ain't think about the neighbor base and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Because you didn't really have the funds to really go to these places. You didn't have the transportation to go to these places and stuff like that. So a lot of times, that was not the conversation. So a lot of times, you just pretty much go outside. You have fun. There's drugs going on and stuff in the neighborhood because that's your surroundings and stuff. So, But you got your friends. Go outside, have fun with your friends and go to the court, play basketball, go play football. It's all kinds of things where we had a lot of fun, but within our own neighborhood growing up pretty much. So you talk about the Pensacola Village. You know, I've been to to the village. I grew up in the village coming there from Texas, visiting all my side of the family. Most people don't know that you and I are distant cousins. So just tell people what the village is like and what the scene is like and growing up in that environment and how it molded you as a man you are today. It helped me out a lot, you know. It helped me out a lot because growing up out there, I had to grow up fast. You really ain't have no curfews or nothing like that as a kid. It was fun, you know. Um, it was real fun growing up with all of my friends that I'm still friends with now, still to the same day. A lot of their moms and dads, we still have relationships now, still to this day. We still communicate over the phone. I still go to everybody's house. It's almost like they family, everybody family and stuff. But growing up out there, you know, like I said, it was fun. You had poverty. We had moments where it'd be tough to get food sometimes, but at the same time, we make the best out of it. You know, my mom made the best out of it. You had your brothers and stuff. They do things wrong to help provide for the houses and stuff like that. So, you know, your typical neighborhood, growing up just like everybody else's neighborhood, growing up in the hood and stuff, you know. So uh, it helped me so much in life, though, to, to be honest, because I had to, had to grow up fast. You may be six years old, but you may be 10 years old in the mind, 12 years old in the mind because you're just growing up so fast and stuff. You know, yeah. you're seeing things so fast. It's, and the thing about it is there's nothing like sugar-coated to you growing up in that area. Yeah. You know, you may somebody may hide this from you. Oh, you're a little kid. Don't need to see this. Like, everything is right in your face. You just kind of just see it straight raw. You just, it ain't like you go on TV and see these things. Nah, it's right there in your face. Your friend over here, your friend may be, 12 years old, he may be selling drugs or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Or this kid may be doing that. Then you may have this good kid that's real smart, may not be doing nothing. You know what I'm saying? You see, you have a bright future. This You may have a friend over here get ready for the military. So you got different varieties of people that you see and you just, you know, you absorb all this at a young age and stuff. Right. So now that when I started to go to college, I was able to adapt to a lot of things, just the way I was raised up real fast. So you talked earlier about that there are so many athletes that come from Pensacola, Florida, that most people may not know. Guys that, yeah. we, guys that we know, like Emmitt Smith, Roy Jones Jr., Justin Gatlin, Derek Brooks, Alfred Morris, uh, Buck Showalter in Major League Baseball, Trent Richardson. The name goes on and on. And don't forget uh, WWE superstar uh, Roman Reigns. You know, what y'all yeah. what, what y'all got in the water down there? You know, what, how y'all producing so many athletes? Hey, you know, we got Michelle Snow, WNBA, Fred Robinson, Super Bowl champion. Um, Derek, um, Derek Gaynor, Adrian Chamber. Derek Gaynor. <laughs> You know, Doug Baldwin, mm-hmm. uh, Seattle Super, uh, Seahawks wide receiver, Super Bowl champion, Darius Randall for uh, Cleveland Browns. They got uh, Ladarius La- Green, too, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we got him, too. You know, we got Adron Cham- uh, Chambers that played with St. Louis Cardinals. You know, World they went series. to the uh, World Series. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, you know what? Hey, I think, to be honest with you, we just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's <laughs> in the water. You know, we just. We produce some great athletes down here. We does, especially on the football part. Mm. We definitely produce uh, some great athletes. You know, the crazy thing about it is, like, we pretty much know who will be good at the age of five years old, pretty much. Mm. In Pensacola, once you start playing literally at the age of five years old, five, six, when you start playing at that age, from the moment within, like, 
three, four weeks of four games, that's when everybody gets to talking. Who is who is what is what? Right. What team is this? What team is that? And it just spread. <laughs> you know, the barbershop get to talking about these kids, these kids. And next thing you know, everybody going to the games, try to look at the kids. And pretty much they just watch these kids just grow. Mm. And you have some who stick it out and able to have a great, you know, career going off to, to a major division one school, going off to um to the league. Then you got some that, you know, may not pan out for the, whatever reasons and stuff like that. Right now, they just coming in and out constantly, constantly. Like we they just I don't know. There's something it's something in the water, really. <laughs> so there's something in the water, you know? <laughs> you took the unconventional route to get to D one. Like you said, a lot of guys yeah. go D one. You went to JUCO. Shout out to Coffeeville, yeah. JUCO in Kansas. How the hell did a kid from Pensacola, Florida, end up in the middle of Kansas? Because of my homeboy. Because really it was like, at the time, at the time of my life, okay, first of all, Coach Herc ended up recruiting me, which was huge. So at the time of my life in high school, I was kind of weak-minded. Mm. And what I mean by weak-minded, as in like, I could be misled. I wasn't a true leader at that time. Was I putting in the work? Yes, I was putting in the work. I was grinding, but at the same time, like I was sneaking, doing things. You know, I was I was selling I was selling drugs and stuff. You know, I was being sneaky with it. So when Coffeeville was like, they recruited me, and I think I had like two more junior college recruit me. That was it. So my mama was like, "Well, since Cedric went to Coffeeville." and did good, won't you just go? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. You know what I'm saying? And uh, for people who don't know, Shadrick Jenkins, you know, that's my homeboy. We grew up together in Pensacola Village. I stayed in apartment M4. He stayed in M8. And, you know, we like brothers and stuff. So, you know, we still communicate with each other every single day still now. I said, if I go far away from home, I know I won't be able to just come home when I want to. I, know I ain't had the funds to mm-hmm. do it. So, that's what made me choose Coffeeville. You know, my homeboy went. He had two great years. It was successful when I talked to him about it. And I was like, you know, I'm going. And that's what I did. That was my decision, based like that. I took a visit, too, also, too. My visit wasn't bad. My visit was nice. And I, and, and it ended up being great for me. You know, Coffeeville ended up being wonderful for me. What kind of advice would you give to players coming up that may not get that D1 scholarship, that have to go the JUCO route like yourself, guys like Jimmy Butler, Sam Cassell, list goes on and on, to go JUCO and big things can happen. What kind of advice do you give to guys? You know what? It's harder these days. But my thing is, like I told you, just the way we were raised up in that environment and you got to be strong-minded growing up to make some decisions and make some good decisions. So, I think these days is like, look, my main thing I deliver to the kids is like, look, okay, it ain't work out for you in the high school level, but you got the talent. Okay, the grades didn't work out. Okay, cool. It's another option for you. Now, if you want to go that other route, you have to be mentally strong to survive this, to go this other route. You have to be mentally strong. So my thing is, if you got to go to junior college for two years, okay, cool. You have to be really strong. And what I mean by now is like back then, when I went, I didn't have social media. Mm-hmm. There wasn't no social media. These kids, they watch so much social media, so much highlights of these kids. They got the microwave mentality. So they want to just open the microwave up, put one minute on there and be like, yeah, I'm ready. I, 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 I want it now. Right. Instead of like, you know what? Let me um, let me get this turkey and put a little season on it. Let me, you know, let me, <laughs> let me you know, it let me put a little bit, put in a little bit <laughs> let me put in a little bit four. You know what I'm saying? Let me put it in the refrigerator. Let it sit in the refrigerator for 24 hours. You take it back out. Put a little bit more touching on it. Put a little juice on. Then I'm gonna put it in the microwave. When I put it in the oven, when I put it in the oven, I'm put it on 350 and let it just slow cook and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, they don't. They don't want to put that grind in like that. And that's the thing. If you got to go that route, you got to be mentally strong to really, 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 really to go through that grind. It's going to be a process. But it's doable, though. It's definitely doable. You made that grind. You made it doable. You ended up earning your scholarship to Iowa. Now, I ain't never been to Iowa. I ain't never been to Iowa City. 
only thing I hear is what people tell me. The Iowa yeah. Nice, the Carver Hawkeye Arena, you know, the fans there, the, the the heaven, there's no beer song, you know. Tell people about there what it's like when you went to Iowa City and your two years at Iowa. Best time of my life. <laughs> when you got there, did those people greet you with the Iowa Nice open arms? Okay, to be honest with you, the first time I went on my visit, it was just so different. Because the players, they were with open arms. Mm. <laughs> you know, they were with open arms compared to the other players that I was visiting I was going on. It was kind of like, you felt like, man, they want me. Mm. I was with the top players that was on the team with Iowa. But the really kind of the, the, the icing on the cake is when I went to the game, like the next day, they were playing University of Minnesota at home. Probably like third quarter, or whatever, and uh, I'm on my recruiting visit. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I just start hearing the whole the whole student session. Reggie, 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 Reggie. <laughs> and I was like, whoa! I was like, oh my god! What a scholarship paper is that? Where is that? Let me sign right now. I got goosebumps. Like, oh man, these people saying my name. I gotta come here. I'm like, I gotta come here. This is it. You know, you just feel it. You just know it. You know what I'm saying? You just, this is it. I'm like, this is it. When you, when you sit, it. Sitting in that uh, Carver Hawkeye Arena, you know, 15,000 fans, I know that was like, woo. And you know, it's so crazy. When I went to school, I would go work out before the season started on my own. And I had to go to Dean Oliver. Dean, my boy Dean Oliver, that was my punk guard. He's assistant coach at University of Wisconsin right now. And uh, I had to go to him. And I was like, man. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do playing in front of 15,500. And he was just like, oh, man, you'll be all right. Don't worry about it. That's all he said to me. And it was kind of like, okay, cool. And that's all I guess I needed. It wasn't nothing, you know. You know, that little small little pep talk by my punk guard, he gave me. It was like, okay, cool. He said, it's okay, you know. And I'm talking to somebody who's been playing in front of this crowd for, for the last three years. So, you know. I trusted what he said, and it, and it ended up being a great two years with the best time of my life. When you got out there, what was that food like? It was a different come from the South. Everything was good. Everything was good. The food was good. <laughs> yes. But that weather, though. That's the only thing wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing wasn't good. But you know what, though? I'm going to tell you what. Coach Rich Walker, he was the assistant coach at the time. That's who recruited me real hard at Iowa. Don't get me wrong, Greg Lansing recruited me hard too. And uh, Steve Alford, he was, you know, he the head coach, he recruited me too. And I talked to Sam sometime. That's on Coach Alford Dad. But um, Coach Walker said the realest thing to me when he recruited me and I was in Jane County, I said, Coach, I said, listen, man. I said, Iowa is too cold. <laughs> I said, I'm from Florida, man. I like, you know, I'm, I'm looking like, man, man, I don't know if I can do that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, too cold. And, you know, he told me, he said, Reggie, you right. It's cold. He said, I'm not going to lie to you. It's freezing. He said, but one thing, though. And I said, what's that? He said, if New York Knicks draft you, what you going to tell them? <laughs> and I said, ooh. I said, ooh. The Pistons. I said, ooh. Blue, the Bull or something like that. I looked at him like, no. You know what I'm saying? That was his comeback. Mm. And that comeback sold me. Mm. It put something on my mind. Because I was like, wow. You know what? Depends on where I do go to the NBA. It, it's a good chance I could be in a cold city. Right. Then another thing, too, I'm like, you know what? Basketball season is in, you know, is in this cold, cold weather. That's mm-hmm. why, you know, we play indoors. So, you know, I'm like, you know what? And I where it is. Let's <laughs> do this. When you got there, I know the big rivalry is Iowa State. Yeah. Do you have that marked on your calendar every year? Like, you know, I can't wait to this Iowa State game. Uh, you know, leading up to the moment, you know what I'm saying? Iowa State was definitely one of them games where it just you'd be like, man, I can't wait to the football season because you know you got the football game first. It's kind of like one of the type of situations like football got to clean them up, they got to start them off, they got to clean them up, then we'll come right behind them. That was the mentality of it, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But 
that was a great experience. And a lot of people, they so used to seeing the Dukes in North Carolina, which them rivals are great. Them rivals are wonderful, I think. Still is, but Iowa don't get enough credit when it comes to Iowa versus Iowa State. They don't get enough credit. You know, there's not one empty seat in that gym when they play. Not one. I haven't seen one empty seat. In every game, the fans be at a high level, high in tune when they be into the game and stuff. Speaking of high level, I saw you recently went back for a camp to go shed your knowledge, talk to the kids there. You see that Iowa has all these new facilities. They got the training table, the private planes, all these amenities that wasn't there when you were there. What do you think yeah. about all those things that they've done over the years just to put themselves in position as one of the top programs? Not to mention they're doing super well right now. They got one player, I believe his name Garza, that's maybe even yep. All-American. So let's talk about the program right now. You got to think about how the guys before I got there was able to help have the um, the new things that were provided for me when I got there. Mm. You know, they're redoing the locker rooms and redoing certain areas of that, you know, to upgrade it for me. So all the thing I did, me and my teammates and stuff, we just – still adding on the foundation to the foundation so this new generation, they can add more stuff to their stuff, which they did. And I think it's great. As time goes on, you want to keep on adding on to things to help advance our kids. That's the whole part of it. Right. I think Iowa is doing a great job, and they're going to continue to do a great job to advance our kids, make sure they got the right food and they system them under the right Workout stuff, the right training, just the right everything, the right thing when it comes to education. Iowa, you know, they are not going to be left behind at all. They're going to always pretty much stay to what's relevant and stay up to date to everything that's going on. The new new generation of kids, they need the best. That's why, you know, we need the top players to come to Iowa, male or female, because, you know, we got everything that they need to help, you know, extend their careers. So you started your career off from Iowa uh, 2002. You go undrafted. After leading the nation in free throws attempts, free throws made, and double-doubles, what was your talks with your agents and your people in your circle about potentially being drafted or going undrafted? And how does that process work for people that don't know? Well, my circle, I ain't really have no circle. <laughs> my circle is small. My circle pretty much, I was kind of, kind of like, you know, at home, a lot of people wasn't educated to this right, and stuff. Right. Like, you know, it ain't yeah. normal talking about in growing up in our environment that you got somebody talking about NBA and all that type of stuff right, like that. Right. Not alone, not alone. It's just you know, hey, my child, my homeboy on TV. Right, <laughs> you right, know right, what I right. mean? So it's not normal. So once you get to this point, ain't really no who can you turn here, turn there at home and stuff like that because at home, not educated to this. You get what I'm saying? Right. So that's why I tell you, once you rewind everything back, when you have to grow up fast, you kind of got to figure things out to yourself. And, you know, I had an agent and stuff, so uh, I was kind of more one of them type of kids where I I asked questions, but I really ain't asked a whole lot. Mm. But I was working, though. I was grinding. Like, I was grinding, 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 grinding. But I also was frustrated, too, though. Mm. So you talk about just being in Seattle those first couple years. You go undrafted to Seattle. Today's person that followed the NBA, they don't even know that there was a team in Seattle. They don't know nothing about the Key Arena, Puget Sound, you know, Rain Man, the glove, all that kind of stuff. So just give some people yeah. some behind the scenes on what it was like to be a basketball player in the city of Seattle. No, it was great. It was great. That's actually a basketball city. That's a basketball state, to be honest with you. If you Google and just like, hey, what NBA players made it out of Seattle? Who the list is long, boy. It's like that Pensacola list. On football, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but saying about it, though, it's like, it ain't just, hey, hey, this guy made the league. No, it's like some real good names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Jason Terry, you know what I'm saying? Jamal Crawford, you know, Nate Robinson. Brandon Roy. Yeah, exactly. Brandon Roy. Seattle is one of them, like, slept-on basketball town, and they got some real players. The atmosphere was great. The fans were great. There was great support. 
The city was great. Great restaurants. Great nightlife. Mm-hmm. The food that was wonderful. The football team was excellent. They got a great baseball team. Great schools. Man, Seattle is one of them cities like they really, really need. NBA really need to find ways to be able to deliver a team there. Where do you live at when you moved to Seattle? I stayed at Metropolitan downtown. Mm. Yeah, I stayed downtown. Then my last year, I stayed in Kirkland. Okay, yeah. Stayed a little, you know, a little out. Just tried out for one. But other than that, I was staying downtown. So I stayed at 801 Tower my first year. Then I moved, moved to the Metropolitan. And then I went to Kirkland. So that was like my little my little destination locations and stuff. <laughs> I got family in Seattle. I go there all the time, family in Renton and uh, Bellevue and, you know, down there in the CD area, you know. So I, lo- I love Seattle. Yeah, Tacoma area, the whole nine. Yo, you ain't living your life right. Pick up your device right now. Well, if you're driving, stay focused on the road. And hit that subscribe, follow, semicolon, period, whatever you got to ensure that every week your eardrums is buzzing with our new episodes, all right? I'm subscribed. Yo, you subscribe? All right, we good. Let's get back to the show. Who are some of those vets on your first couple years in Seattle? Well, you know, I had GP my first year. You know, I had GP the first half of the year before he got traded. I think he did a great job having an impact on me. He was great. I had Elder Campbell. Man, he was a real OG. He just wanted to see me just hoop, <laughs> you know, and go out there and do good. You know, he really wasn't tripping. You know what I'm saying? He just being that real OG. Mm-hmm. I had some good guys. And I think I think that one of the best things about my career is I was able to stay alone is because of me coming to a situation where I had some real professionals, guys to look up to, some real professional older guys. Mm. Rashad Lewis. That's the homie from Texas, you know? <laughs> you know, Rashad Lewis, he had just signed his new contract for like $60 million. Mm. But thing about it, he just signed his contract for $60 million, but it was like he was in the gym every day. He was in the weight room every day. It was almost like he was on a minimal contract. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Desmond Mason. Seeing Desmond, how he conduct himself off the court, dress and suits, a professional, in the gym working every day. So I had some real good guys, Antonio Daniels, that mm-hmm. showed me the rope of how to be a professional. You know, I had Ray Allen. I had different guys where they, they verbal, they led by their actions. So I was just getting so many different ingredients in being a professional and how to carry yourself on the court and off the court. Those dudes were like real OGs in the game. Like, those are true, true vets. You hear those names now? I'm Hell thinking, yeah. I'm thinking about when I was watching the game as a teenager coming up. I used to love Eldon Campbell. I don't remember him from the Sonics, but I remember him from the Laker days. And Desmond Mason used to jump out the gym. Hey, you had some real vets back then. Hell yeah. I was blessed. <laughs> that was my career. And I had Nate McMillan and Dwayne Kayser as my head coach and assistant coach. Mm. Wow. It didn't get no better than that. Wow. So you got to understand, Nate McMillan, Dwayne Casey is Nate McMillan mentor. Wow. You look how the Indiana Pacers are playing right now. Nate McMillan can easily be a coach of the year right now mm-hmm. in the NBA. Those OGs you have, what kind of hazing stories, what kind of stuff they made you do as a young buck? Because you had them OG vets. I don't think they had me do work hard. Mm. That's it. That's all code they want. Nothing else. Nothing in between. Nothing else. You weren't getting the popcorn in your car and go get donuts. No. Go Hell get all no. that stuff you hear about dudes doing these days. No, I ain't getting none of that. I had real OGs. Like, my OGs. OGs. No, I ain't have to do none of that. I ain't have to do nothing. Like, period. <laughs> nothing. Put it like this. I think the timing was perfect for me. I think I read something one time. I guess they thought you was on some drug or something like that. I think I remember reading you say, man, I'm cleaning a pine saw. <laughs> I remember something like that with the pine saw. Thing. Yeah, I remember reading something like something about some pine saw. I guess they were just trying to test you so much. and I guess they thought whatever it was under suspicion while I read it a few days ago. And I was like, that's uh-huh. super funny, cleaning a pine saw. 
when you end up leaving the Sonics via that trade to the Nuggets, the first thing I remember when you were there, the Nuggets, y'all had them shiny ass jerseys the, with that new material. I remember one dude told me that them joints used to be super hot. They weren't breathable at all. And being in Denver in a mile high city. What was that situation like? I wasn't complaining about no jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I could have played with a t-shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> they could have gave me a tank top. I would have wore that. They could have put the nuggets on the tank top. <laughs> I just want to hoop. <laughs> with a little piece of tape with your name on the back of that bug. <laughs> yeah, I never really seen no uh, clothes been hot. A tank top and a short been hot. <laughs> I, remember, I just remember those times, those nuggets, they had that shiny jersey. And there were some guys that were saying that it was like, it wasn't breathable like the rest of the NBA jersey. You know what I'm saying? Man, I don't know. I can't speak on that part. <laughs> Shit, I put that uniform on, I'm hoping. That's it. If it's tight, just get a different size. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's you can breathe. <laughs> that's my answer to that. <laughs> yeah, they got all kinds of sizes in there. Hey, it's too tight. You know, especially back then, shit, we were wearing big clothes. So. <laughs> Tall tees. <laughs> but nah, man, Denver stuff was cool, man. You know, it was different. It was totally different. But I can't say this. I was happy that I went into Seattle as a rookie instead of going into Denver as a rookie. Mm. Why you say that? It was just things that was going on. Mm. I just never seen so many things that went on in Seattle. Mm. And so, you got to understand, Joel Carr was our coach, so shoot, you can only imagine what was going on or what was said. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> During that time when you was in Denver, you became the first player to grab 20 rebounds in the game without getting any points since Dennis Rodman. So a lot of people called you like the new Dennis Rodman, you know, guys like you, Ben Wallace. You know, what was it about during those early times that you had to make your mark just about, hey, I'm going to every rebound no matter what? That came with me and Coach Nate. But I mean, I didn't get drafted. And had with me with Coach Nate, one-on-one me. He told me what all he wants from me and what he'll expect from me. And if I'm cool with doing just certain things, and just knowing that I came through the back door through the lead, I was like, you know what? I'm just do whatever you want me to do. And rebounding was one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, so what I did was I said, well, I just got to do what I got to do with whatever minutes you give me. Mm-hmm. So if you give me 10 minutes, I'm going to try to have six rebounds. Mm-hmm. That's what it kind of came apart. So he ain't really need a lot of scoring from me. Right. So we had Ray Allen, Rashad, Ray can put in the basket, Flip Murray can put in the basket, Rashad can put in the basket, Brent Barry can put in the basket. So we had plenty of guys to put in the basket. So he needed me to do other things. So I was like, okay, cool, I'll do it. You know, so, so he let me out of eye, and I couldn't even respect that. And knowing I came through the back door and I was on a non-guaranteed contract, I pretty much had to take whatever was presented to me and just make the best out of it. So you end up going to the next stop from Denver. You played with one of my good, good friends, Mo Spates, he was his vet uh, by the time you get to 76ers. And it's going down the list of all the places you played at, man. You played at some of the best cities to live at in the country. Mm-hmm. Philly, you know, Toronto, the Clippers, Nets, Sacramento. You lived and played these places and had great, great career and great minutes in those places. Your best statistical year for you rebounding wise in Toronto, 2010-2011, you averaged 11.5 rebounds a game. What was that like being there and just dominating on the boards like that? Um, the Toronto, I was depressed, dog. <laughs> really? Why so? I was hurt. Mm. I was hurt both years in Toronto. You had a foot injury, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I remember that. It didn't have nothing to do with the city. It didn't have nothing to do with the team. The city was cool. The city was nice. The team was nice. My players was nice. It's just my mental. I wasn't there. Because mm. I couldn't do enough more right. to uh, bring to the table. I was looking forward to playing with Chris Bosh mm. his last year in Toronto. But I got hurt. 
So really mentally, I was not in a good place mentally because I never experienced them type of injuries in for that long amount of time, you know? Mm-hmm. That was my honest opinion experience in Toronto. So after you move on for Toronto, uh, get with the Clippers, the Nets, and I think I read something that when you were with the Nets, a coach or something said some kind of comments about how you don't got no game offensively or something like that. I can't really remember. But I remember reading somewhere that you took it upon yourself personally to work on your offensive game. And you had started 80-some games, and you had 10 rebounds, 10-plus points a game for a good stretch. What was that like to hear within your own situation, your own locker room, somebody naysaying you? To be honest with you, as far as somebody saying that I'm going to offer the game, in the league, that won't get to me at all, period. Mm-hmm. My skin's too thick for that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, as far as like me working on my offensive game, I always worked on my offensive game. I never shied away from working on my offensive game. Even when you work out, you have to work on your offensive game. <laughs> you can't go out there and just be like, oh, let me go rebound all day hard. <laughs> oh, let me go do these defensive slide drills. <laughs> You have to work on your game. You just can't go from growing up in Pensacola, being a scorer, and put the ball in the basket. Then you go to middle school, you're doing the same thing. You go to high school, you're doing the same thing, scoring, putting rebounding. Then you go to junior college, you average 20-some points and 10, 12 rebounds. Then you go to IU, you average double-double. Whereas then you don't get drafted to it's like, okay, I don't get drafted. Okay, this dude come to me and be like, hey, this is what I need you to do if you want to stay in the league. Mm-hmm. You got to make a smart business decision. Right. You get what I'm saying? You got to make a smart business decision. Like, okay, cool. This dude said he don't need me scoring this. He don't need me doing that. So, okay, cool. I'm going to do that. So, once you do that, now, guess what? When Denver trade for you, they like what you were doing, so they want you to continue to do the same thing with them. Mm. Okay, Philly wants to do the same thing with them. So, now, you don't carve a lane for yourself. Now, it's like, okay, cool. Now, when you watch the NBA draft, now it's like, okay, this kid can be the next Reggie Evans. Mm-hmm. This kid can be the next Reggie Evans. This kid can be the next Reggie Evans. Because now, I done carved my own lane mm-hmm. by doing what I'm doing. As far as, like, when I was scoring, whenever I was scoring in Brooklyn, it was just one of those type of situations. The coach did not mind for me scoring. So, that's where the scoring came in. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, kind of like, oh, you cool. Go ahead and put it in there. <laughs> That was that part coming in. So I always have could score. It's just that I had a role to do. So running a business, everybody got a role. Right. You know, everybody got a role to do. Do you ever get mad when dudes don't want to take their role? You know, you've had your role, so to speak, your whole career. Do you ever get mad or frustrated when dudes are like, I ain't coming off the bench or I need my touches, et cetera, et cetera? I don't even get caught up in another man's situation when they get to talking like that. That's on them. Because <laughs> everybody's situation is different. It's like, I couldn't get caught up as far as like, this dude uh, tripping about minutes or shots or whatever. That's how he feel. That's just how he feel. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I don't get fucked anyway. You know what I'm saying? Because I got to worry about myself. <laughs> you right. know what I'm saying? Right, right, Especially right. if it don't affect me, I'm cool. You know what I'm saying? So, if that's what he want to do, go public with it and feel like that's going to get the job done, hey, so be it. You know, this new generation, sometimes things like that, sometimes people say things like that so they can get traded because they want to get traded. Mm. You got to understand, like Jason Terry, when I got traded from Brooklyn to to Sacramento, me and Jason Terry got traded to Guggle. Mm-hmm. Jason Terry told Sacramento, I don't want to be there. Don't trade for me. <laughs> they were like, hey, we want you. Jason Terry said, well, if you want me, give me an extension. Mm. The Terry went home. <laughs> he went home. So guess what? It worked out for him. He went to another team. Playoff team. That's why I say everybody have their own different why they may do certain things and stuff like that. Finishing up your time in the NBA, you spent a few years away from basketball. Then you hear about this thing called the Big Three. When you got the phone call about the Big Three, what was your thoughts on that? Well, I know. <laughs> you thought it was a gimmick or something like that? Nah, I just told her I ain't want to do it. <laughs> what do they say to you when they call you? Like, hey. They didn't call me. It was Rashad who called me. Mm. Rashad was having communication with them. I wasn't. Oh, uh, Rashad had called me about something else. And I was like, nah, man, I ain't doing that. <laughs> 
Then he called me about the big three. And I ain't, nah, I ain't doing that. Then he called me again. But this time when he called me, he was kind of like, look, I need you to kind of hear me out. And that's when I was like, okay, cool. That sounds good. Mm. And I was like, i do it. I was like, I'll do it. All right, let's do it. Mm. And it just kind of went from there. It sounded so good because it don't interfere with my family life. Right, right. And that's why it kind of sounded good for uh, Rashad, too, because it don't interfere with his situation. So that's why he knew I wasn't going to turn it down once he talked to me a second time. Saying, and I was like, whoa, we can in state? For real? <laughs> okay, cool. At the location? Okay, cool. Just think about, you know, go take care of the flights. Okay, cool. Go take care of hotels. Okay, cool. You get for them. You know what I'm saying? So you get the whole package. Just like the NBA, but mm. with a big three, though. Mm. So when you have the, I know I've seen the training camp, you know, guys just thought that they were going to roll in off the street, quote unquote, and just hoop. And yeah. what was your thoughts on staying in shape and being ready and coming out there and really putting your best foot forward in the big three and putting on a good product every week? At the end of the day, you should just work out anyway. Just, just work out should be a lifestyle. Right. That should just be a part of life. I was always working out anyway. It's just that once this commitment came, it was just kind of tweak some some of my workouts. Mm-hmm. It's time to add this to the workout, add that to the workout. You know what I'm saying? Now, you know, I got to turn it up a little bit more. That's the only difference. But people should be working out anyway. I looked at a lot of former guys in retirement, and I'm looking like, whoa, God, Jesus Christ, I ain't know that was you. <laughs> so... I have a daughter, she's 15, she hoop. My second daughter, she's 13, she hoop. I got an eight-year-old son, he hoop. I want to stay in shape to the point where, like, I'm not trying to get whooped by none of my kids by, <laughs> for the next 10 years or whatever. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> I know my son get older, get stronger and stuff like that. I'm not trying to get whooped by none of them. No. <laughs> no. So you know what? I'm going to be prepared. So that's my mentality. So when you get out there and you're prepared, the big three is a whole different game. People are just in awe. Ice Cube running. You see all these famous players that we know, Charles Oakley, Chauncey Billups, Rashard Lewis, yourself, Gary Payton. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. It's the, one of the first times that these collection of players can get together and still put on a display of their skills in front of true basketball fans. What was your reaction when you get to the first Big Three event and you see how what the turnouts are? I wasn't surprised of the turnout because I felt like we had enough stop power to be able to pull a good turnout with the names that we had that was a part of it. But the format was totally different. Now, just seeing how everybody would go adapt to the whole format of the half courts, the games back-to-back, the referees, how they going to make their adjustment within just the half courts, you know, the commentators, how they going to make their adjustment within the, you know, just, just seeing how everything just going to play out. It was just like, like, wow, a beautiful situation. Whereas then, like, you know, Q, they thought about this six months ago, and here it is, you putting this together, and you got so much power within this one gym, and it's like, it's amazing what a creative mind can come up with to make it happen. And for us, we just kind of do our part to make it still go, to be growing, to be one of the top leagues in the country. I know early on there were a lot of guys that didn't want to play because they thought it was a quote-unquote retirement league. Yep. You know? Yep, yep. Now recently the Big Three has come out with some new news where they changed a minimum qualifying age from 27 to 22. So what do you yep. think about just getting younger guys in there so uh, you have a new crop of talent? And, you know, me, the way my mentality is, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? So they want to change the age group. That's on them. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you still got to step on that court. You still got to step on across that line. Age ain't number the number. 22-year-old, we got to start them. And guess what? Them 22-year-old got to stop us, too. <laughs> you know, one thing that we got is um, we, we, we got a wise mind. We know the game real good. We got a lot of experience. We're looking forward to the 22. That's what they want to do. So we're going to make the best out of the way with the team. I ain't complaining for what? Playing ain't going to do nothing, especially in mine. I'm not complaining. Get them on the court. Still got to make it happen. You know, so at the end of the day, you know, ain't no telling what these 22 year old dudes going to do when them popcorn get to popping <laughs> and when you're on TV. 
different world when that thing start up. You know, so we'll see how it turn out. I think it's gonna be fun. I think that everybody needs to be in tune and watch it. You know, cause it be some people that miss it, but at the same time they'll see the reruns and they be like, "Wow, I'm just not getting caught on to this." Mm-hmm. I, I people started really getting catching on to it cause the big three and taking that next level, that next level jump. Do you think one of the things that people love about the big three is the fan interaction? I know after games, y'all sign autographs, y'all. There's musical performances all the time. There's a lot of stuff they do every weekend as opposed to an NBA game or another professional game where the game is over with the players in the locker room, they're traveling, going home or whatever. That's one of the good things about it. You got hip-hop and former NBA players mixed as one, and here it is. We call it the big three. And now you got an entertainment part coming in. You can't beat that. You know, now you got the players that's pretty much coming in the stands, meeting and greeting all the kids and stuff, you know, the parents and stuff. It's a little bit more intimate, if right. that makes sense. Right, right. And it's actually fun as hell. I buy anybody that got kids, bring kids. It's a real kid atmosphere also, too. You know, so it's growing. And, you know, and it just feels good to be a part of the help it grow and stuff. It's growing and changing, too. I know a big thing nowadays is the mental health and the awareness on that. The Big Three just released a new policy on supporting uh-huh. players and coaches with mental health or mental awareness issues. I know one of the most outspoken players has been Royce White over the years with that topic. Talk about just the the new mental health and mental challenges. Like you said, back in Toronto, you were depressed during your days there because you were hurt. Talk about some of those things that would be good for the Big Three and players as a whole. I think it's good. I think it's real. I think it's needed because a lot of people see a lot of these athletes, oh, they just signed this. Hundred million dollar deal, or they sign this eighty million dollar deal. It's like, hey, look, we have feelings. <laughs> we go through things. We go through real life things. Somebody may have cancer or whatever. You just never know. You know what I'm saying? So it's a huge thing. Even if you look at some of these, I don't even want to main mention football players, whatever. Seeing some of the things going on, but it's definitely an issue, and it definitely need to be uh, talked about a lot. Now we just moving forward as in making the action happen as in so we can help save a lot of lives and stuff, prevent bad things from happening. Really, at the end of the day, that just shows you the growth of the big three and the, show you the direction that the big three is, is is aiming to go and just showing you that, hey, it's bigger than just basketball. It's bigger than just entertainment. We're willing to take that next leap to, to help focus on the mental part of the situation because a lot of people, like I say, they look at us like, hey, we got money, we got this, we got that. But at the same time, we are human. We still go through things. We still got feelings and stuff like that. So for Q them to take that next jump to focus in and key in on that, I think it's great. And me knowing Q, he's not going to do it just for publicity. He's really going to take that next step to really to help make that change and stuff. What kind of dude is Ice Q? What kind of dude is he behind the scenes? Cool as hell, dog. Cute, <laughs> cool, man. Cute, cool, man. He cool. Real, real cool. Got a wonderful wife. Cool son. Uh, man, he got great peoples around him. You know, security real cool. They good peoples. So he just real down to earth. You know what I'm saying? So I like Q, man. Q, definitely one of my favorites. Does he ever give you any stories of back in the day with you know, NWA and all that? You know, today was a good day. <laughs> we haven't had one of them real sit-down conversation. You know, we haven't had nothing like that. I don't know if I asked him. I'm pretty sure he gets tired of people asking him a bunch of NWA <laughs> questions or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> you know, so ain't no telling when I sit down and chop it up with him. You know what I'm saying? I probably want to chop it up about the big three, you know, mm-hmm. and moving forward or whatever to help continue to um, grow this thing and stuff like that. You know, so, uh, but nah, man, kill good peoples, 100%. So you've, done a lot of different things in your career off the court right now you said you have your you know your daughter's hooping coming up being a father being around them every day with AAU talk about some of those how you're trying to instill your knowledge into your kids as they're coming up in this basketball game I think it's great you know what I'm saying watching them uh, see them go through this process and stuff you know what I'm saying see them go through the, um, the grind 
to be successful in it. My daughter, them, they started like in sixth grade, so hooping and stuff. So, and I think other things that I never had to force it on them. Mm. I can't be that, you know what I'm saying? No, I didn't force it on them so that I can get that genuine reaction back. It's been great, you know, they're in high school. My oldest daughter in high school, my second daughter in middle school, RJ here in elementary, and I got a fourth daughter also. They've been doing pretty good in high school. And uh, RJ, he didn't, he started AAU. He played with uh, the Gym Rats out of Indianapolis. Okay. My daughter, she played um, with Tampa Bay Tech High School, and um, and she also played with Essence Team in the summertime. You know, and uh, it consists of a lot of traveling. Summertime be real busy, you know mm. what I'm saying? You know, it consists of a lot of traveling. My girls them have to go to... You know, they had to go to um, Virginia and Chicago and, you know, New Orleans and Dallas and Montgomery, you know, Daytona. You know, me, I have my big three schedule. Then my son, he have his schedule. You know, he done been in Kentucky already, Indianapolis. He go back to Indianapolis, you know what I'm saying? So it get real, real hectic when the summertime kind of get here. What kind of advice are you giving her with this whole recruitment process when these college coaches call you and – they're recruiting her since you've been through that. Right now, I'm telling her right now, so you need to watch the games. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You just need to watch the games, see, watch the coaches, watch the players. You need to learn what year they're in. You need to start focusing on the system, what kind of system they run. Just watch all the little how the coaches and players interact with each other. So I'm at that phase. I'm trying to get her to understand that part. As far as like when she communicate with them, you know, just just be yourself. Just tell her to be yourself. That's the main thing. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about, whatever and stuff. You, know, like you don't got to get all personal and whatever and stuff like that. Right now, the, the recruiting is real, you know, real subtle. But as time goes on, it go pick up a little bit to the point where you had to start narrowing them down and things such of that nature and stuff like that. Well, I just want to thank you for coming on the No Referees podcast, my brother. I appreciate you sharing some of the stories. Um, I just want to commend you. I always look at your social media pages. You everywhere with your kids. You all over the country. You're still in that knowledge, and not only your kids, but the next generation of children. And I look forward to what's next in your career. I appreciate that a lot, man. Thanks for having me on too, fellas. Y'all can find him again at Reggie Evans Thirty. He is a Scambia County's finest, Mister Reggie Evans. Thank you, brother. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out.